damn son, where'd you find this? Buckle up, buttercups, it's time to get down to business. Oh, yeah. It's the Totally Legitimate Business Podcast. Totally Legit. Welcome back to the Totally Legitimate Business Podcast. And we are joined here today by two of the greats. Returning for his second episode, the man himself, Sam Salem. He's here, folks. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, for for a first time guest, we've got the magnanimous drummer, the 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 Muppet himself, Ian Brown. Oh, I could have done. I could have done this one. I could have done this one. Do you watch Curb, Ian? Do you like Curb? Uh, yeah. I'm not as. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad we got that out. I'm glad we got that out of the way. Uh, welcome, guys. Thank you for joining. Um, I'm very excited for this conversation because you know most of these things you told me about here, I had never even heard about, and I love. I don't. I don't really love sports, but I do love a sports scam or sports conspiracy. I got to get behind that. And I guess this isn't necessarily traditional sports, but a different type of of uh, endurance behavior. F1 racing. So I, I guess, Ian, you had sent me these links. Why pick these links, first of all? Or these things that you had come across and had always like made you wonder? Or? Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Um, I guess commuting a lot. I listen to a lot of YouTube things. Uh, last year, a bunch of us were in like an F1 fantasy group. Uh, and so just commuting and kind of trying to keep up with this year's F1, you come across some weird podcasts. It's really like the algorithm of whatever you listen to just brings up all sorts More. of shit. Yeah. Right. And so I came across a couple and I've been out of the F1 thing for this year and, just kind of light bulb clicked and figured, why don't we brush up on some of this stuff? A lot of it, I know nothing or very little about and then ask Sam and he's more F1 literate, I guess. So that leads yeah, us here. Maybe, maybe the most out of us. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, but the, uh, so I've got, let me just pull this up here. The first thing that we're going to talk about here is a little diamond heist. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't, wasn't this for promotion for an Ocean's Eleven movie? Like one of the sequels? I think it's, I think it's kind of being sold that way, but it, it's kind of, 50-50 as if it is. I mean, it's very fitting that at the time it was the second Ocean's 12, what would have been Ocean's 12 movie that came out. Right. Yep. Which those franchises, you know, were huge back then. So it's very fitting that they would do something like that. But it's, it's uh, this heist thing is 
is weird. I'm kind of, I kind of got two sides on it. Well, that's, I guess that's the, the long and short of this is, um, I'm trying to read this article to remember exactly what the connection was. So when, when was it like during, like when would oceans 12 was like, Oh, no, I think Oh six Oh seven. Was it? Okay. And it was during Monaco. Yeah, it was the Monaco race. Yeah, and it was on it was on the two Jaguar cars. There were two of them, and one of them or both of them go missing. One gets into an accident and breaks off the front of the car that had the diamond on it. And when they recover the the car, there's no diamond on it. Right. Which um, which like so, I guess the backstory or part of it is is the Jaguar team wasn't doing that good that year or the year before it was a dying team, which Jaguar now got sold and then is now what is today's Red Bull team. And so as part of like a promotional piece to kind of help a dying brand and with the help of some diamond merchant who has a very, suggestive past as well they put these diamonds on them and i don't know if it says in that article but the diamonds were i think it was like quarter of a million plus each diamond yeah i think uh it says in the article the number three hundred thousand, but quarter of a million plus you know okay yeah that sounds about right uh and now did both diamonds go missing or just the I think one? just I think just the one and that that comes down here I was reading this real quick So wait um, they they put the diamonds on the nose like on like the, this you see this the, picture Right like the most vulnerable part of a race car <laughs> <laughs> Well but also you know in their mind the, one of the most visible so okay, uh, this let's let's keep going here. But there's I've I I feel a few things about this too. But uh, drivers, uh, Christian Klein was one of them, and, and then there was another one that he was a big name for a while, I believe. Yeah this this article this or this uh, paragraph down here, and what was ultimately a measure of Weber's cool skill behind the wheel of an F one car, Weber. the diamond. Yeah, there you go. The diamond on his Jaguar went throughout the race unscathed. The diamond on Klein's car, unfortunately, lasted all of one lap. We don't have footage of the crash on hand, but it seems the Austrian lost the car going into Lowe's, plowing headfirst, we presume, into the barrier on the race's opening lap, and as a result, finding himself out of the race. I thought there was a video of it somewhere. I, I, the only video I saw was them pulling, like, recovering the crash. I didn't see any video of the crash itself. Okay, but the crash is really weird, I mean, Monaco is known for being one of, if not the trickiest races, tracks in Formula One. Yeah. And where he got in the accident was the hairpin. But even then, that hairpin, I mean, Sam, how fast is an F1 car going in that hairpin? No more no, than 45 miles an hour. If that, I mean, they really got to slow down and they're, I mean, they're full wheel lock pretty quick. So, 
So that's one of those things that makes it super sus to me right off the bat, because if you're crashing in that hairpin. Was it raining? Was it? No. But like that, that hairpin is one of the most photographed, like there's like, even for 2000, whatever, like how could, yeah, that's wild. So did the whole front piece go missing or did someone, was someone able to just rip? I'm trying to, I'm trying to find the pictures here. Um, Because how does, so from the video that I saw a while ago and it could, I'm, I hope it's the right video. I mean, dude, you're going wheel lock into tires at 45 miles an hour or less. I could see it being enough to rip off a diamond if it wasn't securely in there, but the front wing was not tattered by any any means. I mean, it was relatively fine. Well, and I, I, I want to say this. Yeah, this is for sure. I mean, this it lo- looks like I had pictures of the crash. Um, yeah, this is the corner I recall. Um, yeah, there was like a fat big cat. You can see this. What the fuck is this? Um, there was like part of the conspiracy is yeah. So here's this front end right here. I guess just the yeah the little area where there was a diamond. This was down here. James, I think your audio is going fuzzy. Okay, okay, I thought. Yeah, I thought that was me for a second, but no, it's, it's fuzzy for me too. It's just totally fuzzy, completely still. Is that any better? No. No, I think it started. Oh, okay. That sounds yeah, terrible. No. I bet on my end that sounds terrible. So, uh, hang on a second. This might fuck the stream up. I think it started when he got on that website. Oh. Uh, I don't know. It was only going like the last 15 seconds for me or 30 seconds now, I guess. The thing that I don't that doesn't make sense to me about that is that like, cause you saw the Senate documentary, right? Uh, it's been a while, but yeah. So like that whole documentary, Oh, go ahead, James. D- is it working? Sound better? Yep. Yeah, we're okay, good. Okay, sweet. We did it. Cool. <clears throat> uh, I was saying the, the thing that like immediately jumps out to me, not making sense is James. I think I, <laughs> I made you, watch the Senate documentary when it Yeah, no, out. we ap- we absolutely watched that. I 100% and remember watching it. That whole documentary, which is amazing. In my opinion, it's the best. It's one of the best racing film anythings, but it's definitely the best F1 long feature any kind of movie documentary whatever. Like it's it's just no no nonsense and what's amazing about it is every part of that documentary is made with footage taken 
from back then, and in some cases brought to high def as, as well as they could. So the entire the entire movie is all old footage. There's no new. There's nothing new put into it. So yeah, it's it's so fucking good. It's such it's and it's so compelling because there's yes. so much. They had so much documentary style footage of some of the behind the sh- scenes shit yes. that was happening, especially leading up to the crash. Like there's the one crash he gets in, and then there was like mm-hmm. he was making fuss about how we really need to fix these problems, and then he dies because so loosely related to that problem that he was warning everybody about. It's- there's. There was a ton of people videotaping intimate moments, and, and like and, it's it's such a good movie, such and movie. and not just like people, but the teams, like all of the teams. So if you have all of the teams having multiple cameras in the cars, out of the cars, on the pit boxes, up in uh, timing and scoring, you definitely have that ten years later. So where is the onboard for this car, right? Because it looks like it noses into that hairpin or the outside wall going into that hairpin. So the diamond, what, like conceivably, maybe it gets peeled up out of the nose somehow and then goes flying somewhere. But even then, there's a camera on the front right there. Right. Constantly looking at the front of the car. Right. It follows it going into the tires. Yeah. Now, I had heard on one little snippet about it that the driver either hit the wall or got into some sort of accident right before that hairpin. But it did not, it wasn't pertaining to the nose. It was more the side body of the car. And then one or two turns later, he ends up in that wall in the hairpin. Okay. Okay. So, so I can understand with how fragile those cars are, that might be why he was in that hairpin, but if, or why he ended up in that wall in that situation. And then that same video kind of alluded to now you're getting into the trickiness of, okay, let's say the diamond did pop out. Where did it go? How Whoa. fragile is a diamond? If a, I mean, if that thing hits the ground, shatters into a million pieces, it just looks like. Well, okay. Diamonds, diamond, diamonds are some of the hardest material known to man. <clears throat> Like right. it's oh Jesus Jesus Christ, um okay well we, Sam just sent over a uh, a TikTok video we'll play here in a second. So uh, I, the, the 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 prevailing theory I was just going to say in that article is that it's they couldn't look for it until two hours later when the race was over. So they it goes missing and nothing can be done in terms of a search effort until two hours later. Sure. So it's it it would mean nothing for a marshal or bystander who was just in the right place at the right time to see that thing, put it in their pocket. 100%. You know. I, and the only person that would have even been able to try to attempt within that two hours would have been a steward right on that that's, corner. That's, that's what the article says. Is like the, the, the And there were marshals right there helping him get the car out of the corner. So it, it, it wouldn't be anything crazy for that to have happened. I That... I still have trouble buying that because for the same reason that like, look at that camera of that view right there. Like 
that is not the only camera on that hairpin. No. There's cameras constantly recording every, like that's just an amateur camera. Like That's a good video of it. Yeah, so maybe it, it is, and it is 04, so that probably is a TV camera, but uh, there's just too many cameras on that corner when nothing is going on anyway. So I just can't, and I don't know. I, I just have trouble buying that unless the whole thing was made up. And they dude, were- it's, dude, it was, it, this is my thing, guys. It was all to promote the Ocean's 12 movie release. This is a fucking scam. This yeah. this is a scam. That is a yeah. piece of glass that is not a real diamond. It is this this is all just a show. Whether he him crashing was was scripted or not, I don't know. But the fact that this was there to promote that movie, it's it's that's all it is. Promotional. It's it's a thing that they could quickly tack on the car. It could it could, you know, uh, I don't know. They, there's no way any sensible diamond deer, any fucking jeweler is going to strap diamonds like that onto the front of a race car. They're just not going to do that. Okay, but then look into the person who devi- or who provided the diamond. What yeah, and what's his deal? His deal was he was a I want to say Russian diamond merchant supposedly the diamond was the diamonds were not insured and around that time or yeah we'll just say around that time he had questionable business ethics i guess as far as his diamond mines Mm -hmm. so there was some controversy with his whole operation in and of itself Let's, let's. But supposedly the diamonds were not insured, and I, yeah, I can't. I wouldn't be able to remember the dude's name. You know, this, even this if is, I tried. That this that is, makes more sense because what insurance? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I can. But uh, I mean, okay, I'll buy into it. Was all a fun little thing for the movie. If, you know, let's say the diamonds were fake and it really was 100% just to aid in the launch of Ocean's 12. As a Formula One team, whether it's a dying Formula One team or not, do you sacrifice even your worst race car driver on a two-man team to basically take an L in a race to promote a movie. How much are you getting paid? Uh, how much is worth it? That's, well, that's, well, that's, I'm asking that. Like, you know, that's what, a good how, question. How much would a team or a driver make from a race like this? You know, like, Sure. Now, I can understand that because, let's see, who was the, the driver that did go into the wall? He wasn't the top. He yeah. wasn't the number one on that team. The number I, one, I can't remember his name, but he Mark has a lot Weber. of, Mark Weber. he has a lot of weight behind his name. Yeah. I think he won a championship. So, I guess I could, if, if we lean all of our cards into that pile, then yeah, I totally get it. I would just end the day and just say, 
well, I guess I guess now here, this is why I wanted to start with this one because I feel like it opens up to the other ones a little bit more. The the first one was the Fernando Alonso story about him like taking a dive, a crash to benefit one of his teammates purely for like points. And that led me down a very short rabbit hole of other scenarios in F1 where drivers strategically get into an accident or they're not necessarily concerned about winning the race because of the way that the points work. And it's, you know, sometimes for the sake of the team, one driver will, you know, take an L sure. so that what, whatever the points can work into in, in their favor or whatever that means, you guys know better than I do. So, uh, I guess when I, when I'm seeing that that's kind of a common topic in F1, it makes what we're talking about here with the diamond conspiracy that much more believable. It was just a fucking hoax. They got paid. That's, that was a big fucking movie. Yeah. I think the advertising budget on that movie was pretty solid for sure. You know, you know, like it, it would not shock me in the least bit. And again, maybe he didn't, maybe it was supposed to be on the car the whole race. I just don't, to me, it just seems for what it was, no one seems to really give a shit as much as they should. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. No, I like that had been the fucking hope diamond and that the hope diamond had been lost like that. That's it's obviously not the hope diamond, but you see what I'm saying? That's, That's a huge jewel on the front of a car. You'd think that people would be making even out of the mystery, you think people would be making more of the story like, ooh, I wonder who got that diamond. Oh, you know, some investigative journalists like breaking down, tracking all the fucking corner stewards who had access to it and seeing what their lives were like after that. You know what I mean? Why don't, why doesn't anybody care? I, you know, that's why it's fishy to me. If right. it was insured, that would have absolutely happened. Like until it was found or yeah. until you went beyond 250000 or whatever it was worth. Right. Yeah, it's a it's a fun one because there are a, there's a lot of variables. I'm more so. I mean, I I'm more so lean on the side. You know, if you put all of them together, you got a team that entered the race middle to the end of pack. It was dying team. They didn't really matter that race, anyways. It. Uh, you, you you see what I'm saying? You see how this all adds up to be like, mm, right? It's not such a big deal to fucking take this dive or to lose right. one of them, you know. And the one movie that you know when we were in high school was the one movie at the time that had the powerhouse group of actors that it did, like Oceans. Those movies did amazing. I guess the only thing that still kind of holds me on to the conspiracy is the fuckery of the diamond merchant. Yeah. I wondered more about who the Russian was, what his, what his story, how that fits before and after. But then I think even if there was some fuckery going on with him, it makes me even wonder if the diamond is legit in the first place. He could have just put a fake diamond in and this said, is, "This is what I'm saying." Like, even you think he, you think he would be a little more pissed off about this. You think he would be like suing Jaguar or suing 
the whatever race <clears throat> officials or sponsors he could for some malfeasance about the security of his diamond being, you know, in this secure event, it was stolen or whatever. But why? Why does he not do that? Because it was probably a piece of glass. Right. It's probably cubic zirconium. You know what I mean? A, a shiny, clear acrylic, even. That if you strapped it to the front of a car and the car exploded, it wouldn't fucking matter. Right. Yeah. No, I can, I can buy onto that one. It's pretty wild, but it is, it is fun. It is very fun. And honestly, I wish more sports instead of there being like refs fixing games. I wish there were more fake heist subplots, even in basketball. You know what I mean? Like just in all the sports, just if we started doing that, that add this like theatrical element to it that I think everyone would enjoy. I can get in with that. Yeah. Everyone, everyone would enjoy it for sure. Okay, so next let's let's seamlessly transition here to the uh, Fernando Alonso thing. Now, Ian, why did you pick this one? Uh, again, just another thing in my LA commute, just listening to a bunch of weirdness. How how would you describe Fernando Alonso? Like what what do you know of him? How would you Someone's like, "Hey, tell me about Fernando Alonso." What what comes to your mind? What, what's memorable for him? Because I only asked that because James, I think, mentioned earlier that there's an there's a conspiracy that he <laughs> that he took a dive for his team. <laughs> the Alonso I know, um, I think, would rather die than. than <laughs> Then, then positively uh, help someone else at his own expense. I mean, every whenever you see him, he has those hats on the Kim Moe or Kim Mocha. I, I can't remember the brand, but that's his brand. If you go to the website, it's like wow, just about him. They are pretty dope hats, but they are like yeah, they do look they are really just cool. him. You're right. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I don't know Dick about him. Okay. I know he's a hell of a race car driver. I don't even yeah. know where he's from. España. Oh my God, is he dating Taylor Swift? Uh, there was uh, a thing a few months ago that maybe he uh, had gone out with her. Yeah. Wow. And they like hit up a bunch of drivers and hit him up about it, and none of them could keep a straight face. So either it was a hilarious joke, or they might have gone out. Interesting, interesting. He's like, uh, uh, never mind. Uh, would you say a lot of these guys are just fucking dickheads? They, uh, you have to be a dickhead in order to. You, <laughs> you, do, you have to be a. Di- so the way you get, I know the way it is now, and the way it probably was most of the time is the way you get to the top of the racing circuit which is f1 is you either have to have uh incredible god-given talent or daddy's money or both and there's a couple of drivers today that do okay but are only there because of daddy's money and in one case dad owns the team that lance stroll Lance Stroll, or uh, or a couple years ago was the Russian. 
I can't think of his name. Mazepin. Right. Right. Yeah. Where, like, in in the case of Alonso, the team that he races for, which is now Aston Martin, the owner of that team is the number two driver, Lance Stroll. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any any bones about that. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, but that's no, like you, that's that's nepotism shit on a whole new level, dude. It is, but. Yeah. Uh, I'll I'll say in his slight defense, he's not a terrible like Nikita Mazepin. He was a terrible driver. He put people in danger a couple of different times. Like even the announcers couldn't couldn't hide or shade their their feelings on some of the dumb stuff he would do on a racetrack. And <laughs> even though you know. I also call bullshit on that, though, Sam, because last year, Stroll, on one of the fastest straights of a certain circuit, veered right into, I believe it was one of the Alpine drivers, and they collided at upwards of 100-some miles an hour. So Stroll is notoriously known for, when blocking, he'll kind of give you that little hey you can't go through but at such a speed that mm-hmm. gives you little to no time to react and then yeah numerous I, times it's ended up him having some sort of altercation on the course yeah I, th- I think i do remember that and that was pretty bad um i just remember when he had first kind of came onto the scene he had i think a couple podiums i can't I can't remember for sure. And he was kind of talked about as part of the next generation that is doing well now, like, like Lando and Charles and uh, now George. Um, those guys are all kind of the. the but the, the answer to your question is, is yes, you've got to be some sort of either very rich kid or you have to be some sort of narcissistic egotistic just daredevil or both yeah right that's why like i can't say this with full certainty but as you get older and your competitive drive starts to dwindle a little bit you know you're retiring at mid to late 30s Mm-hmm. because in your 20s you're just like fuck it put me in a race car 140 miles an hour plus like i'll sacrifice my body for that turn or mm-hmm. whatever at that mile yeah. an hour but then you get a you get a family you get a you get a couple you know surgeries because of you know whatever this right. and that broken bones that. accidents whiplash yeah scar and, tissue you got that pension waiting for you you know yeah, that nice pension. I'm sure they really take care. I'm I well, they do take care of their drivers. They pay them fairly. I'm sure they get great coverage, but yeah. At what cost, you know? Right. So what uh sorry, I went a little Alonso, bro Alonso crazy. What uh what what what's the thing about him and the conspiracy? 
What's his conspiracy? Uh, so he was at, and again, I can't think of the, I can't remember the course, but he was doing testing preseason. Uh, do you have the, the info, James? I have, um, I have the video that you sent. The description's pretty solid. Uh, and this video is great. And this channel is also amazing. They had a ton of, uh, awesome F1 docs. Uh, but Fernando Alonso's 2015 preseason testing crash has become an F1 conspiracy. During preseason testing before the Formula One season was about to begin, Fernando Alonso would crash in Barcelona at turn three where he suffered a concussion and reportedly couldn't remember anything past the year 1995. Alonso denied these reports and others theorized electrocution as the cause for the strange crash. McLaren made it clear that the car didn't suffer any mechanical failures, but the incident made major headlines and became the biggest story of the 2015 pre, uh, preseason. Enjoy. Wow. There's, um, I want to say there's, it's like, it seems pretty, it seems for a crash, it seemed pretty mild. But the conspiracy there, they, they, there wasn't really a conspiracy in the sense that he, I don't think he lost memory until everything before 1995. I think that was just something that got made up. But like the actual cause of the of the crash never really was di disclosed, and you know it, it's probably like in most cases crashes around this time. It was probably uh, uh, a number of health or safety issues that have now since been changed. Um, uh, this is probably just like a, a an issue with the car electrocution right so yeah. so and and i've seen this video and then i had watched another one about them talking about it supposedly there was little car damage it wasn't from what i had heard it wasn't like a major major crash yeah it's just that the motherfucker got electrocuted in a race car Probably put it against the wall, and then the the theory of he can't remember anything past a certain day or this and that. He woke up thinking that he was still the champion or was about to win the championship from five or six years previous. And then the wild one is is it did something the electricity did something to him to where now he either i don't want to say doesn't but hardly ages i like that which if you look at him that dude is a, I like that a lot. is a fucking gorgeous gentleman ha and, how yeah. and he's and he is 40 something probably which is Dude, that is old for F one. Like that is petrified wood. Yeah, ancient. but he he does look like he is forty one. Here's the okay. other thing about that though. If but go to a picture of him when he's ten years. Go to a picture <clears throat> of him when he's winning a championship. God, when would that have been? Go nineteen ninety eight. I think it was like two thousand one. <laughs> Yeah, he looks like a fucking baby. 
Look at that little baby. <laughs> he looks like a damn baby. He doesn't even have facial hair yet. Are you fucking okay. kidding me? All right, go two thousand. Fuck, I don't know, man. Go. I don't know. I like that. I like that one, Ian. Yeah, that's like. it's fun, but he looks like he's forty-one. He here, he looks like he's getting closer to thirty, late twenties. Well, two thousand six is like what seventeen years back from today. Yeah, if he's forty-one, he so it's you know mid twenties. Dude, he looks fine. I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not shitting on him. I'm just saying he looks like he's forty-one. It's not stopping his aging. It might giving. It might be giving him some like electrical spark reaction time edge in while he's driving the car if we want to if he's getting a superpower it's not de-aging it's a different one for sure i i, I think, think it, it i think it tracks honestly I, i've watched some <laughs> of the i've watched some of the races this year and he's like he looks like like people who follow f1 they're like oh max verstappen max verstappen and others are like oh lewis hamilton lewis hamilton and but like this 41 year old is driving always in his has prime the worst car of those three teams at the start of the year mercedes was not very good but now the worst car of those three teams he has like the the best technical ability still when he's out there he there's there's this would this would be like a way into the weeds so i won't go too far into it but there's an article that i think the drive did about how when he was with Renault back in 03 or something, the car wouldn't turn well on certain corners at, I think it was Hungary. And so he found a way with the tires to oversteer the car into corner entry to get the car to act up in such a way that then it would grip up and he could go through it fat and, and nobody could understand what he was doing none of the other drivers his own team the data so he he had even before he had crazy ability but to be 41 and still yeah i mean i mean but i max is very good he's he's shown a lot but alonzo is just like crazy at 41 to be able to do it's just it's just weird because you know yes he former champion former like lebron of formula one that should have been on his way out and should have just thrown in the towel and gone out gracefully and like a lot of these older drivers they get the number two seat on some mid track team which is what he did he went to a team that the number two driver left because it's a team that's owned by son and rich daddy which is tough and he just right out of the gate this year just pushes everyone aside and it's just like hey motherfucker i got electrocuted eight years ago and i'm 15 years younger and is racing exactly like it Right. So that's I mean, my theory, and I'm sticking okay. with it. I'm, I'm I okay with that. Um, Fernando Alonso, here's the Fernando Alonso superpowers. Uh, I'm, I'm cool. I'm okay with that. I, I, it's way more interesting, to be honest with you. It's a way got. It's got a way cooler energy than the Ocean's Eleven heist. I feel. I'm telling you, it could be a movie here. as well, too. 
That'd be a sick fucking movie. Even if it wasn't about him, just like a story of a driver who got electrocuted and then it gave him some kind of competitive edge. Right. You know, who who wouldn't love that? Everyone always (laughs) dies and burns. Now we need electrocution and live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Exactly, so Ian. Exactly right. Um uh okay, so there's this other one. Uh, uh I'm gonna pull up the video that I watched about it, and again, like I'm a fucking moron when it comes to dates, the the oh, the his the historical context of this, but there's this conspiracy about an Ayrton Senna crash in Monaco in 1988. Um, the description says it was on a qualifying lap and was never caught on camera. Uh, but it's the crash that cost him the win. Uh, and it was also slipped from TV view. I, I, I don't know if you guys had ever heard about this one. That, that no. confuses me because I think he... The crash in qualifying or the crash in, I thought he won those races. He was, he's like Mr. Monaco. Nobody could touch him. Even when he had slower cars, he always. Okay, here, hang on. Let me see if I can find the details. God, that was back when cars had sponsors. Legit. That was a very fast car at the time. I don't think this is real. Yeah, I think this is supposed to be a reenactment because I... I do know that it was either 88 or 89 it and that would track with this article is they didn't have okay what's that oh here we go this this might oh this this is that video okay perfect this might as well just watch it okay so we crashed in the race I don't have audio. Do you guys have audio? Oh my gosh. I'm just kind of making up things in my head as to what this, this guy's saying. I, 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 I just realized this isn't doing audio. Hang on one second. Let me fucking figure this out. This crash is in the documentary and he talked about it a little bit. And that this is part of why I love that documentary so much is there's the video that they have on him after he gets out of the car and then it cuts to another camera that watches him start to walk away and he takes his helmet off. You see him take the helmet off. You see him take the earplugs out and toss them. And he's just walking away from his car, totally pissed off at himself. There's people behind the fences behind him. And I think in the, in the documentary, they describe it as, uh, you know, he just went to his apartment. He didn't even go back to the team. He was so mad. Oh, James, I think your audio is fucked again. 
Clippers. So what what is this conspiracy that he crashed because of? I have no idea. Dunno. Okay. Okay. I thought we were doing the uh, Imola. That's what I couldn't remember the name of the track in Italy where he died. The only one I know is the moving wall with Sienna. That that's a great story. That's the only one I know. That's an incredible story. Yeah, that was in Adelaide, I want to say. The one where he wrecks and he because he clips the, his back tire or something and he tells the engineer, like, I swear. The wall moved. moved. Yeah. And they go back and look and somebody had crashed into it before he got to that corner. Right. And the wall actually had moved. Yeah. And it was like only a matter of centimeters, which yeah. means that he was only a matter of centimeters to that wall consistently mm-hmm. every lap. Hey, big guy. Hey, how's that sound? Does that sound better? Good. Yes, sir. All right, cool. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck the deal is here. Oh, God, hang on a second. That's that's the thing that for me still probably, because of the way the cars are going technologically, will always put him at the top or discussion for the top because mm-hmm. now like I can say today Max Verstappen Ultimate game of two hard. I heard that. Oh fucking finally. Okay. I'm sorry Sam finish your point. I'm gonna watch this clip. I, I can say that <clears throat> Verstappen is a really good driver, but I don't know how good he is because that car that Red Bull makes I think half the drivers on the grid could win at least a championship. I mean, he he has the championship sewn up this year already, like two races ago. I think half of the drivers on the grid could win a championship with that car because that car, it has the power. It has enough power that you need in a straight line. And the aerodynamics that they've designed into it are just, I mean, it's like, push button steer go survive the, the lateral and right the, the i i guess that's the fun dilemma that is f1 of now and then you know i think about it often too like the video of that car with senna the marlboro that was that was the v12s right they were i think they were eights but they were <laughs> they were uh turbocharged or supercharged one of them and it was something crazy like 800 horsepower on that little 1100 pound car so it's they got the gear shifter it's a manual gearbox there's so your hand has to leave the steering wheel yes uh the you know now everything there's so much you know okay so carbon fiber wasn't a huge thing back then a lot of sheet metal and steel uh probably some resin sort of like hard resin plexi sort of stuff in the vehicle not a lot of sensors just a lot of metal and mm-hmm. just fucking grit in those engines and everything now you've got cars that are completely carbon tubs there's sensors for everything i mean there's a sensor that tells you that you're probably low on drinking water 
That, no, there, <clears throat> there for sure is. And that's, it's stuff like that, that for me is like, he was doing it and getting within like that wall story is the perfect example. Right. And the wall moved. Like his engineer must have been thinking, you're fucking crazy, dude. Like, right. Right. And when, to have that much control of a car, you know, that's like taking a go kart that you would get at like Champions Fun Center and putting an actual car engine in it it's mm -hmm. trying to handle a beast like that compared to something nowadays which is a beast of a car but i guess you could say in a way so much more it has regulated control, right has analog brakes. well well but it, it but it's you know it's like the goddamn fucking you know pads in football like over time Yes, right. it used to be more hardcore when you you were just a strapped to a piece of metal flying at 150 miles an hour, but right. so many and people died that they're like, we can't. This people don't want to see people die. People want to see their favorite race car driver walk away from a crash, you know, and get right. to race another day. I, I I don't know if there's any scenario where you make it as safe as it is now without all of those. Well. well all of that and more, like whatever they decide to develop in the future. To, to add on to that, though, the cars, the lap times, they've never been faster. Yeah. They've never been faster than they have been, maybe not this year, but in this, you know, late right, era. Right. Like those yeah. cars that he drove lap time wise, they were slower. But you can't tell me they were easier to drive. How could they be? Yeah, they, yeah. they 100%. No fucking way. No fucking way. All right, let's uh, let's watch this clip here really quick. 1988. You can the hear Monaco that, right? The Monaco Grand Prix yeah. is the ultimate game of two halves for Ayrton Senna. On the Saturday, he set one of the most breathtaking qualifying laps that the sport has ever seen. He was 1.4 seconds faster than anybody else. It was the fastest lap at the time that you've never seen because it wasn't broadcast. And if you want to see our recreation of it with Murray Walker, look across other social channels at McLaren. But then came Sunday. For 67 laps, he looked like he was gonna take his second consecutive victory through these tortuous streets. And then it all went wrong here at Portier. Well, what happened? Even within McLaren, among the guys who are here that weekend and are still employed by the team, there are different schools of thought. One theory is that he just understeered wide and went straight into the barrier. Second theory is that he clipped this barrier that I'm sat on distorted his front wing and went into that outside barrier. And the third theory is that he had a slow puncture. Well, let's do some detective work and see if we can establish with any more credibility what actually happened. You can see that there are two black rubber marks heading straight into the barrier. Now that is not the mark of a man who's suffering from understeer and is trying to flick the car through the corner. So I think that discounts that theory. The slow puncher is a little more persuasive, but was it cause or effect? You can see from photographs after the event that that left rear tire is deflated. Now the theory that has the most credibility is the one that involves the barrier I'm sat on here. It's still just two Armco barriers high, like it was 30 years ago. And most people within the team think that Senna clipped this inside barrier. That's why you can see from the photographs that that front wing is slightly distorted. The, the steering went awry and it just flicked him into that outside barrier. He had enough time to jam on the brakes. That left the black lines and just threw him into that outside barrier. But we don't know for sure. 
30 years on, it's one of the great mysteries, but the more questions there are about the great Ayrton Senna, the more mysterious he gets. Yeah, so that, that will... Give us the law and order, James. Exactly right. So that kind of leads us into these other ones. And I, you know, for the last eight to 10 minutes here, kind of discussing Senna, um, we had touched on this before we dove in here. There's like the idea that his death was so profound, regardless of the true scope of it, he meant so much to so many people and his death was so profound that people in a desperate attempt to find meaning or to ascribe meaning to the senseless event of his death, um, a lot of, more than I was aware, conspiracy theories had come up. Now, Sam, I remember when you had first put me onto this story and we watched the documentary, we had kind of unpacked not necessarily conspiracy theories. We we talked about the weld on the steering column and like how that's like the prevailing thought that maybe that is the cause. But then I, I do remember you like basically alluding to the fact that safety at that time, they were only really doing things when people died or enough people died. Enough people die from a problem and then all of a sudden they turn it into an issue. And that after this particular event, they got a little more aggressive with safety stuff, but you you might you'll know you'll be able to explain that better. But that's I do remember going over that when you put me on. I I have two questions quick. Yeah was was that the corner that he he didn't die on that one? No 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 that no. was that that was a wreck in I was going to say at Monaco. Okay he, he won he won that season I think he won the championship that season. That was, I was I was going to say. Yeah, I thought I was losing my mind. So never mind. Okay. Continue. Uh, so uh, Senna was a Brazilian driver, just first of all. And he is probably, by you and I think today's driver's accounts, the the greatest of all time. He, uh, he had a few things going for him. He was, I want to say he was the head of like the driver's association. He was very much like, we're not doing, not like making a bunch of noise as far as I know. I don't know. He, he died. First of all, I think it was May 1st, 1994. Uh, the Italian Grand Prix or the San Marino Grand Prix in Imola, Italy. And he wasn't the only driver that died that weekend. Uh, there was a guy who is a little fascinating in and of himself. He uh, was a driver that I think just like got onto a, a mid or lower tiered team. Uh, he would he would be a guy who just would hang around the tracks like wherever F1 was going. Like, hey, you need a driver. Hey, you need a, like trying to be a reserve driver. And then finally got it right. He had to lie about his age to get him to. Uh, allow him to drive. He was actually like, I think six or seven or eight years older than what he would say to people because they always wanted the young driver, the young driver, yeah, the young yeah, driver. Sure. Um, and so, uh, I think before that, a driver hadn't died in 10, 15, I, I can't, I can't remember. It, it, no one had died in a long time. And so then, uh, God, what was, Ian, do you remember, I think it was 
Ro, Roland Ratzenberger. Ratzenberger, does that sound? Mm-hmm. So he died in qualifying, um, similar to uh, Diamond Heist video that we saw where the front wing gets stuck up under the front of the car so that the front wheels are sort of off the ground. That's what happened to him when he was going uh, like near top speed and hit a wall. Uh, after after he crashed, you could see in, in the side pod where the driver sits. I mean, you could see his legs. He hit so hard. and I don't think died instantly, but suffered a, a fatal wound. And I think died right after they essentially died right after they got him out of the car on the track. So Senna dies uh, the next day. And yeah. he was considering not even driving at all. He was wondering, you know, should we even keep racing? You know, that that kind of thing, especially being the head of the, the driver safety association. Yeah, I, I did hear there was some controversy between drivers that felt that they were unsafe going mm-hmm. into that race. So uh, he's, uh, you know, he's leading the race and they're going through a, uh, a fast section of the circuit where you're at top speed, you are turning, but you don't need to lift off the gas. And at that point, something happens. I think the best theory is what you said, James, the, uh, steering column, poor the steering column broke apart. He lost control, which is consistent because he went, you know, straight off to the side. And it wasn't a a remarkably, I mean, it, it's a bad crash, but it's not one that you would expect because it, it, it it's not one that you would have expected someone to do. Right, right, right. And Very think, similar to the death of Dale Earnhardt. Yes. Like you see the crash, crash footage and it's tough on TV because... 200 miles an hour on TV does not look like 200 miles an hour when you're, you're going 50 yards away from yeah. it. Right, right, right. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. Didn't mm. look too horrible crash nonetheless, but. So I, I think the official version is that when he went into the wall, part of the suspension on the right side to the front right wheel broke apart some piece i don't know if it was a spring or uh, one of the shafts went into the helmet Fuck. and uh somewhere above his right eye uh was punctured and something i, I can't remember if there was something about his neck was broken in such a way because you see its head twitch after after the car comes to a stop and in the documentary the safety marshal at the time said uh that's kind of how i knew something was really not wrong after the fact obviously he didn't see helicopter footage when he's driving out to go see what's going on but um yeah uh frank uh frank williams was the team owner the williams team he wasn't i I don't know how he got out or if he was allowed to leave italy but he wasn't he couldn't come back for multiple years because he was ultimately ruled to have been at fault. Damn. And if he were to have come back, he would have been arrested. 
Damn. That's, yeah, that's that's some added uh, backstory there. Also, what isn't seen in there is another driver. I can't remember his name. Uh, it, almost like it looks like a stunt if you watch the live footage, uh, the live television coverage. But he like drives his car out to where Senna had crashed to try to get out and do something to help him because earlier in the season, Senna had done the exact same thing for him where he had had a nasty crash. He got knocked out, but you can hear it. His foot stuck on the accelerator. So after the crash is gone, the transmission must've broke apart in some way or was thrown into neutral. You just hear and Senna actually with like cars still driving on the track, stops his car, gets out, runs over to him hits the kill switch. And I think even the kill switch was something that he was a big proponent of. Yeah. A master kill switch there in the cockpit somewhere. So that's, that's kind of a, a, a quick and hasty unpack of Senna's death. But, um, but that does like going way back, that does bring up a really good point where, especially in the automotive world, nothing gets implemented until something major happens. I think that's, that's most, I would say that's most industries, Ian. Sure. Sure. Except for, well, I mean, so going back to Dale Earnhardt, his crew member twisted one of his five point harnesses. You've got seatbelts here, seatbelts around your lap and then in your groin. And one of his was twisted and just that twist when he hit the wall sheared it off and it basically took him out of his seat and just ragdolled him inside the cockpit so because of that it caused it was major neck damage and as soon as that happened they implemented the hans device yeah which is now the thing that goes around your neck which attaches to your helmet restricts your neck movement yeah the one thing probably, I mean, the halo in F1 has been around for five years, maybe. Ish, yeah. And I remember when that first came about, I didn't necessarily like it. I thought it was weird, as probably a lot of other people, and including the drivers, did. But if you want to see something crazy, look up the, uh, what's his name? Rojan... Roman, Roman Grosjean. Look up his Formula One crash. That happened two years ago? I think, th- yeah, two or three. I think three, because he's, this is his second year in IndyCar. Okay, I, yeah. But yeah. He, yeah, you're right, Sam. But dude goes underneath one of those metal that in that same video we saw that metal barricade that the guy was sitting on he goes underneath one of those things yeah the car catches on fire and he's in it for dude 30 seconds it's a long time to be in a fire that hot yeah right after surviving i mean it was a crazy amount of g's like a, a 50 g impact or something like that and then I think either the same year or the year before there's footage of, you know, this was like at the height of Lewis Hamilton and the Red Bull beef. And there's this amazing cockpit footage of one of the, I believe it's a Red Bull car going 
up over his head. It clips the halo, which is just this bar that goes around you, and just kisses the dude's mm. helmet with the rear tire. Yeah. Like, you just see it just clip the top and then go up and over, which if yeah, that course. halo wasn't there, oh, crushed. Yeah. yeah. Crushed. And it forced his helmet down. Like, it, it put some weight on the helmet. Yeah. Fucking wild, dude. Dude, it's like, uh, honestly, uh, uh, any, any of these things from the out from the on outside, it's like, oh, f- yeah, fuck yeah, go fast, fuck yeah. But it's real sobering. Like, when you really think about it, you bring up a good point, Ian. Like, seeing a crash on TV, way different than seeing a crash like that occur right in front of you. I mean, we, we saw a bunch of crashes, and none of them were that insane um, in that corner at, at Long Beach. But right, uh, right. Just, just even seeing those, it's, like, sobering. Dude, it's, it, it's just crazy to think, like, the 90s, 80s era, the the Senna era, like just looking at these cars and like the cars that they drove back then, it's like stupid. They were so exposed. Like they were literally just bodies strapped to rockets. Yeah. Um, it, it, at least now these cars, uh, uh, I, I don't know. This is one ever since I saw that Senna doc is when I started to understand and I have no qualms with safety implementations like what they've done in F1 or even in football. Like you, you, you makes a huge fucking difference just to have like certain components be made out of this or certain things to be shaped this specific way or, or restrict your movement in certain ways so you can immediately eliminate the likelihood of, uh, uh, some type of catastrophic event that would have been commonplace even five, 10 years ago. So, right. It does spark the fun debate because, you know, you say, who's the goat, LeBron or Michael? And then the argument is, well, you got to look at the time. Everyone says, oh, basketball was so much more physical back then than it is now. And today you've got, the doctors and the training and you have the science behind everything. And then when your computer went out, we were talking about the, uh, it's not a conspiracy theory, but known fact of like Senna was getting on one race. He was getting so close to a wall, a matter of centimeters that he eventually ended up clipping it. And then at the end of the race, he had said to one of his crew members, I think that wall moved. And it was just the biggest joke, but one of the drivers actually went out and measured the wall and it had scooted out about six to eight centimeters. So in a car that is nothing but just brute metal and muscle, I mean, we're talking like a V8 that is forced inducted compared to a V6 that is also force inducted, but you know, sensors and limited and restricted. Well, and even and even at that, you could lift it up. Sure. Like it, they're light they're light as fuck. Like you could walk to the front and with both hands lift that thing up. Right. So there's a you know there's a fun mental argument you can have with all of that. Like what is harder, the then or the now? What was more of a beast to tame? 
it's, uh, well, I mean, I, I, I think the more of the beast to tame would have been the cars back in the day, for sure. As soon as you start putting computers and, and the scientific portion of it. But that's not to say that the modern game doesn't have challenge in the sense that as the technology and the cars get better, the driving gets better. Like Sam was saying, the right. times. The, the times, times have never been faster. The times reflect that because not only do you have new technology, but then you're going to have specific drivers that are going to excel with that new technology in a way right. that nobody that nobody could have even <clears throat> thought about driving before that technology existed. Right. So and the G forces are, you know, bigger than ever it's, now. It's like, it's like space flight. Seriously. Like these these motherfuckers are just straight up astronauts. Well some of some of the G forces are greater than what astronaut because astronauts generally feel just uh yeah I wanted I wanted to send this to you. Start it at like uh the you could probably just start from the beginning it's like the eight second mark this just speaks to driver safety car safety this is damn and she survived She clips somebody going into the braking zone, or somebody moves over on her, and she gets spun around. And yeah, like that was in reverse. Missile. Yeah. And but, that's but not she, even a Formula One car. That's, that's a, a Formula Three. That's craziness. But yeah, again, like the the fact that that could even happen, and that driver could walk away, that adds a level. That's a whole different aspect of the game. Like people are literally out here defying death. What would have killed drivers, now they can walk away from. I, I don't know. For for me, it it it. Yes, the technology it it does change it, but it doesn't make it any less or more dangerous or death defying than how it was back in the day. It's just back. It was different back in the day. You had to have a connection to your car that you don't have to have. But now, in some ways, the connection to the car that the driver has is even deeper. And they can get more out of the car than they could because they have this, you know, literally, you know, wired into their vehicle and and and, and uh, every metric working to their advantage. I don't know. It, it, to me, it doesn't it doesn't lessen the ability, the technology, because it it that in itself becomes a competitive portion of the game of racing. Right. There's, there's one thing I'm trying to find that I just want to share before we get, get off of that point. It's, and it's actually, I think I've sent it to you guys. Somebody dug it up. It might've been you, Ian. I don't think it was, it was a while ago, but it's, um, it's Alonzo and it's him working a modern F1 steering wheel as he's going through the lap. And, uh, oh God, I gotta find it. It's, I mean, it's something that Senna never had to do. Schumacher probably never even had to do. Um, but if you're a driver now, you have to master, you know, fucking with brake balance, fucking with, um, everything yeah everything's right on your steering wheel through the lap uh, yeah right like uh, that i guess that's what i'm saying like that for some for some drivers that's going to make it more difficult and for some drivers they're going to adapt and get even better 
and that in itself becomes a component of the race that wasn't even a thing that was had to be thought about by drivers before that technology existed in the cars okay uh, I have one second I, I i i don't know again like to me it's it's it makes it spicier and the fact that the times are what they are to me the sport gets more competitive people get hurt less you can see shit being done that the day before could not have been done right you know that's why be into something um can y'all hear that yeah so okay. when this pulls through started at like the one minute mark and then if we want to sit through another two minutes 29 seconds that's what it'll be but i mean this it goes through what all he's fucking with while he's feeling the g-forces the cars have a quality qualifying mode you know you only get so many engines so many turbos so many batteries so many parts each season unless you have to take a penalty if you replace too soon so like front straight topped out in what is that an eight speed so going I don't know how long that track is, but let's say 165 to 180. And he's messing with, could be anything from, you know, you've got a dial that has 12 different presets, all of which could be, is it raining? How much rain? Did the track temperature go up and down 10 degrees, five degrees? Mm -hmm. There's a new setting for all that stuff so That's... that your mixtures and your suspension and just the way, you know, the engine is running with the flux of the temperature of the track. And you're doing all of that going 185 down a straight, dropping down three, four gears taking a corner at 85 90 having to remember the track yeah yeah it's pretty remarkable it really is and, and that's just one that's just the circular dial in the middle that i'm yeah. kind of talking about the other ones are overtake and you know you've got radio and you've got a bunch of other weird little things but then you've got your paddle shifting here too so you're doing stuff with your thumbs dials and shifting all at the same time it's like playing video games and you have a car that has i don't yeah those cars do not have power steering it's like flying a spaceship it's a fucking spaceship i mean it really is fighter it pilot is. shit it's fighter it pilot shit you know yeah um, i don't know it's it's fascinating it's fascinating it's fascinating. We're, we're going to wrap it up here, though. This is a great episode. I just want to say, I, I think both of you guys did not expect this to be as awesome as it was, and it was actually very cool. Uh, I want to thank you guys for sitting here and unpacking some of these uh, uh, very well-known scams. I, I think maybe another one that might be fun to do is if we unpacked a little bit of like the shystier business dealings in f1 i know there's a ton of big money like in america it's not really thought about as much but in europe it's big money Dude. behind these races uh behind these cars and stuff and and i know both of you guys have told me 
kind of in the same way that like there's a ton of shit with FIFA. There's just as many skeletons in the closet of F1. Um, maybe picking a big scandal and unpacking it would be fun. Um, because this is like this, this, there's so many different rabbit holes, even from just looking into the few that we looked into. Uh, everyone has their goddamn opinions and the money for me, whenever I see some shit that has this kind of money flowing through it, I can't help but think it, there's going to be some fuckery. There's for sure going to be some fuckery when billions of dollars of advertising are at stake. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. But we solved the crimes. We did the time. Thank you guys for coming out. And uh, to everybody, like, subscribe, or don't. Uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Totally Legitimate Business Podcast. Woo! This has been the Totally Legitimate Business Podcast. The end. With your host, James Oliva. <laughs> Executive producers, Clint G and James Oliva. That's obnoxious. Sound design, mix, and master by James Oliva. Literally no one cares. For more Totally Legitimate Business, subscribe to our YouTube channel at Totally Legitimate Business or add us on TikTok at TLB Pod. When will this end? Thank you for listening. Now get back to work. Moving along, buddy.